hope you've had a very good week and you're ready for tonight's bedtime story. Tonight's bedtime story is a bit special to me. It's actually a book that I was gifted by my great-grandmother. She actually purchased it when a church in her town was remodeled in the 1960s. And this book actually turns 110 years old this year. So I think that's quite neat. And it's pretty, pretty interesting because she's written a lot of little notes in the margins. And she used to give it out to students in the town that were wanting to read back when they used to have a very small schoolhouse in the town. I don't know if you have any older family members that are still present in your lives, but if you do, I highly recommend just sitting down and talking with them about their lives and experiences. I love my great-grandmother very much. She's one of my favorite people. She's just a very interesting lady to talk to. And I'm very lucky, actually, that she's still living out in her original hometown. And she actually turns 100 years old this year. So, happy early birthday to my great-grandmother. So the stories that I'll read to you tonight are just short stories. And it actually comes from an old school book primer called Fireside Stories for Girls. And it's written by Margaret W. Eccleston. And I'll read a couple stories for you. They're typically very bearable or message-based. So, I think some of these are going to be maybe a little bit cheesy, but I'll read a couple of these together tonight. So, if you're all ready, go ahead and settle in for the night. Get yourself snuggled up in bed. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath in and out. As you get all relaxed and ready for bed. The first story I have for you tonight is called The House of Truth. It was plain to be seen that Bess Keats was very much disturbed about something. She sat in the couch hammock on the porch, talking to herself and occasionally giving 
sharp punch to the sofa pillow by her side. Mother is so old-fashioned, she said to herself, and she gets worse every year. Last year, she wouldn't let me wear the kind of dresses I wanted to, and I looked different from the rest of the girls all year. Then she wouldn't let me go camping with the party, because only one mother was going to take care of us. Surely one woman can take care of twenty boys and girls. Of course, I was glad I hadn't gone when they had the accident and partly burned the cottage. But she wouldn't let me go just because she had old-fashioned notions. Girls these days don't do as they did when she was young. I just can't see a reason in the world why I shouldn't invite Henry Mann to take me to the leap year party at the beach. Every girl in the crowd is asking a fellow to take her. Of course, if George were here, Mother might let me go with him, but he isn't. And all the girls want Henry to go because he spends his money in such a dandy way. So, I said I would invite him to take me, never thinking for a minute that Mother would object. And now she says, not only that I can't ask him, but that I can't go. Well, I will anyway, so there. I just will go. Then Bess pushed her head far down in the pillow to think out a way. If Grandmother were only alive, she would help her. She had always found a way to get what Bess wanted. But Grandmother was dead, and Bess must work it out alone. So she began to think. Suddenly, she heard a voice saying, Why, Bessie, dear, whatever is the matter, you look very unhappy. Tell me all about it. And there was Grandmother with the neat black silk dress and the dainty white collar and even the pretty white apron that she used to wear. Oh, oh, how glad Bess was to see her. Hand in hand, they went away from the house to where the trees in the orchard were bending with fruit, and, sitting there on a stone, Bess told her all about her trouble. Whatever would the girls think of her when she had promised to invite, invite the boy that they all wanted? And after she had told every little bit, she squeezed Grandma's hand very hard and said, And now, Granny dear, you will help me, won't you? It is perfectly all right to ask him for all the girls do it. I want him to take me. Well, well, dear, said the grandmother. If we find that it is all right, I shall be glad to find a way to help you. But we must see, we must see. See what, grandmother, asked the girl. There is nothing to see. Indeed, there is, child, said Granny. 
in times of trouble, one must always see the truth. Then the way is easy. After I see the truth, I should be able to tell what to do. Come, and we shall soon find out. You see, you belong to my family, and my family is very proud of the fact that its girls have all been ladies. So, we must go to the keeper of the book and see what a lady can do in this case. On and on they went, till they came to a queer little old man standing before a big, big book. Granny went daintily up to him and said, Will you tell me if it is ever right for a young lady to ask a strange young man to take her to a dance and pay out his money for her when he has not even been to her home or met her mother? My grandchild says all the girls do it, and I suppose it must be a new thing that has been written in the book since I was a girl. I want her to be sure to be a lady. So, before I help her to ask the boy to take her, I want you to look for the rule. The old man began slowly to shake his head, but he never said a word. He just looked and looked and looked. His finger went up one page and down another. Finally, he looked straight at Bess and said to Granny, Your granddaughter is mistaken. That is not done by ladies. It is not here. It's not here. Oh, you're old-fashioned, just like my mother, began Bess. It may not be there, but it is true, just the same, that all ladies do it nowadays. Hush, child, said Granny. What is written there is true, but it's only half the truth even then. Let us go and see the rest, if it is right for you to ask him. Then let us see the truth about the boy. Is he one that our family would like to have specially chosen for your friend? We must know all about him. Oh, Granny, he is all right. He doesn't study much, and he doesn't do what Mother believes is right on Sunday. But he has a car and a motorboat, and he is all right. Let me ask him, begged Bess. Tut, tut, child said Granny. Perhaps you do not know. This is the house of truth, and we can tell. Then they entered a very large house, and Granny walked to a man who stood near the door. May I go to the M room, she asked with a smile. I will show you the way, lady, said the man, and Bess noted how the man had spoken the word lady. Somehow, everyone knew as soon as they looked at Granny that she was a lady. It was very strange. Down a long hall they went, and then they stood before a large wall of mirrors. What a strange place this was. Before them in the mirror were many, many men and boys, all struggling to get up a very steep hill. Some had a few strings ahead of them to help them up, and many, many strings behind that were pulling them back to the foot of the hill.
Jesus had only a few in back and many in front. Some were hopelessly entangled and seemed not able to move. Who were they and what were they doing? Curiosity led Fess to study the scene in front of her. On the very top of the hill there was a bright sign, Christian Manhood. If then was the thing for which they were struggling, but what were the strings? She pushed and reached, but she just couldn't read the words. Did you want to know the truth about a friend? said a voice. I will gladly help you, for you are young and need to know. I am old, and to know the truth may only give, make me more unhappy. Take my place. And she was given a nearer stand. on the strings that held the men back. One said, drink, and another, bad companions, and another, bad temper. Bess was very much interested, so she began to study the faces of the men who were pushing to the top. Why, away up there with the first was George Meyer, her good friend from childhood. He had many many strings to help, and only a few to hinder. And there was Edward Mead. He was such a goody-goody at school that she didn't care much for him. Why, he wouldn't whisper at all. Near the middle of the hill was Philip Marks. She knew him well, and he had many things to help, and many to hinder, but he was surely trying. Granny had brought her here to see the truth about Henry Mann. Was he here? She hadn't seen him. First, she searched among those near the top. He was such a bright boy when out with the crowd, and he had so many good things in his life that surely he must be near the top. But he wasn't there. Neither was he near the middle. Surely he must be there somewhere, for his name began with M. Finally, she asked the man who had given her his place if he could see a boy named Henry Mann on the hill. I should say I could, was the answer. There he is, near the foot of the hill, hopelessly entangled in his drawbacks. It isn't hard to find that young man here. Sure enough, there he was, and Bess's face grew very red as she saw all the strings behind him. She was glad Granny had gone to sit down so that she wouldn't see him. Perhaps she could read what some of his drawbacks were, for he was quite near. There was too much money, lazy, unkind to his mother, little schooling, drinks and smokes and swears, a friend of careless girls. Oh dear, Bess didn't want to read anymore. much against so many others to pull him back. Up there, very near to the top, George, her old friend, was moving on, and his face was so earnest. How different it looked as she compared him with Henry at the foot. She had never known before that he was so handsome. What were the strings that were pulling him forward? 
then, she heard Granny's voice close to her elbow. Are you trying to look at George, Bess? He has a long way towards manhood, isn't he? Suppose you use my little glass to help you. Oh, now I can see, she answered. There is a good mother, a keen mind, a strong body, love right and truth, a good girlfriend. But, Granny dear, said Bess, one of his helps is a good girlfriend. As George girl, I thought he didn't care for girls. This is the house of truth, dear, said the old lady. I think perhaps that good girlfriend means you, for you have been a good friend to him. You know, our family have always been proud of their education and their habits of life. I am sure it must have been a good thing for George to grow up all these years with a good friend like you. He must be a gentleman if he would be fit to play with the daughter of a lady like your mother. When I was here before, George had some of other bullbacks, but I see he has conquered them. But come, dear, it is time we were going, if I am to help you out of your difficulty. Let me see, you wanted to ask Henry Mann to take you to a party at the beach. Did you find him there? Do you think your mother will change her mind when we tell her the truth about the new friend whom you wish to make? If so, I am ready to try, even though I am not at all sure that a lady does those things. But things change. Things change very much, and perhaps you are right. What did the House of Truth say? Shall we invite him? Oh, Granny, never, never, cried the girl. I could never ask anyone who was known as the friend of careless girls. He has so many drawbacks. Oh, no, never. Just then, a voice said, Good evening, Miss Keats. I hope I haven't disturbed your nap. One of the girls told me you were very anxious to see me. So I came up, and there stood Henry Mann. For a moment, the girl could not answer. The face that had looked so handsome when it was pointed out to her on the street yesterday now looked careless and insolent. She wanted to run away and not even answer. But just at that moment, the door opened and her mother came out. She was dressed so prettily, and her voice was soft and sweet as she said, I think I haven't met you, but you must be one of my daughter's friends. Will you be seated? A man must be a gentleman if he would be fit to play with the daughter of a lady like your mother. She straightened her shoulders and, smiling, said, Mother, this is Henry Mann, of whom I spoke to you. Turning to the boy, who stood at the top of the steps, she said, Thank you so much for calling, Mr. Mann. There has been a mistake. Mother prefers that I should not go to the party at the beach, and of course I want to do as she thinks best. sorry to have made you this trouble. Perhaps one of the other girls will be asked to fill my place, so that you can still be one of the party. Then Henry Mann tipped his hat and went down the street, thinking how beautiful the mother and daughter 
said to herself in the hurry to catch him before he left the campus. Daddy Gray, she began, I have a queer question to ask you. I am choosing some boyfriends whom I wish to have as friends after I leave. Tell me some principles on which to base my choice. A rare smile crossed the face of the old man as he patted her golden hair. Good for you. I am glad you're thinking. Long, long ago, when my own girls were choosing their friends, I asked them to remember two things as they chose. Not only that the one they choose might become their husband, but that they might also be my son and the father of their children. One thinks much more about the principles of the man who is to be the father of their children than about the man whom they love and want to marry. You know what a high ideal your mother holds. Test your friends by that also. Never mind yourself. Think of others. Then he left her to think. And she did think. But Tom ignored his mother. Ignored her mother as he did his own. She could never bring him into her home. Tom drank sometimes. Oh, that would never do. Bob was strong and healthy. Bob had no use for God and the church. Her children must have a Christian home. Earl was a wonderful student, but he had undermined his own. He stooped on his shoulders, and there were signs of a breakdown. Oh dear, what a hard test Professor Gray had given her. So, the days wore away, and she found herself watching as she had never watched before, from marks of strength, mental, and physical. Over and over the words rang in her ears. Never mind yourself. Think of others. It was the afternoon of commencement day, and her room had many beautiful flowers. Tom's lunch was a great American beauty of roses, and the card he had made made her suddenly blush as she read it. She 
have enjoyed it too. Rain was such good company. Always courteous, always hunting for ways to make the trip more worthwhile, and always good-natured, no matter what the weather. He had been a companion worthwhile. So she stood and talked with the mother and son for a moment. How sweet the mother was, and how proud he was of her. It was a joy to watch them. Suddenly, he spied the bit of forget-me-not. Ah, he said, I had nearly forgotten to speak of them. I passed a brook and lined with it just before. The mail train passed the station, so I just hopped out of the car, emptied my lunch from the box, and sent them to you. But I never dreamed you would give them the time to wear them. Maybe the little flowers will tell you that I am hoping you are going to remember our happy days here after we leave the campus. I want very much to feel that you have had a little interest in me. I have told Mother much about you, for Mother and I have no secrets. May I write to you sometimes? Just then, the bell rang for the line to form, and she hurried away while he took his mother into the chapel. All afternoon they were busy, and there was little time to think. But when May came to dress for the ball in the evening, she stood before the flowers on the table. Then a sprig of the forget-me-not went into her hair, and a bunch was fastened into her belt. And when he asked her for her answer as he stood on the veranda of the fraternity house, she said simply, I have enjoyed the time I spent with you. I am quite sure that I should like to know you better. You might write me if you cared to do so. But under her breath she was saying, Daddy Gray is right. The greatest test of a man is not what he might be to you, but what he is and will be to others. I am quite sure G. Powell can stand his test, and mine also. I think it's very easy to see with these stories in this book that they're very heavy-handed in the morals and what they want girls to grow up and become. I don't know that it's quite true for today. Still fun to read a little bit of history about ways that people were expected to be and to treat others a hundred years ago. And it was a sweet gift that my great grandmother gave to me. She actually gave it to me just a few years ago, and I'm not a teenager, so I know it's she and I just really enjoy reading, and I have a lot of books from her. She's just a very passionate lady who has a lot of hopes and dreams for people in her family, which I think is very sweet when someone has a lot of hopes and dreams for you, because I think that means that they love you quite a lot, and I think we all could use a little bit of extra love in our lives, even if we don't see eye to eye people who think those things of us and for us sometimes. I'm sure I didn't grow up to be quite what my great-grandmother thought I would be. But somehow I think that's okay with her. Well, I hope you didn't mind my rambling a little bit tonight. I did want to get in a few stories here on this Sunday.
like to wish you good night.